Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Thursday, September 19th, and we're talking week four in the ACC. Can't believe we are that far along already, uh, but it's going to be an interesting one. Couple of buys, but uh, you know some interesting matchups for sure. Uh, we're also going to add Notre Dame to the mix, and Notre Dame is on the road at Georgia, so that'll be a fun one to talk about. But before we get started, Tim, what's going on? Justin, I have fallen down another Netflix rabbit hole, and I gotta say, this one is the deepest yet, uh, by far the most fulfilling, and that is The British Baking Show. Wow. Was not expecting you to go there. <laughs> It's awesome, man. I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Uh, there's a lot of baking going on. I, Me, personally, not a fan of baking. Uh, there's so much drama in cakes and biscuits and uh, breads. Oh, my gosh. You, you have to watch this thing. Honestly, um, if you've ever watched any cooking shows like Chopped, uh, you know, any of those elimination-style shows, this is like that, but just better. Yeah, Chopped is yeah, good. Yeah, Chopped is good. Okay. This is the British version of Chopped, and all they do is bake treats. It's fantastic. Well, I'll tell you, I wasn't watching uh, any bake- <laughs> baking shows that I <laughs> but, uh, you know, my wife, she's she's out of town, so uh, I happened to stumble across this, uh, you know, hokey Facebook group, and there was this Inner Sandman video playing, so of course I start broadcasting it, Sure. and uh, just out of nowhere, I'm sitting there with my daughter, and, you know, she's a dancer, right? Right. And uh, she just loves to dance to music, and Inner Sandman starts playing, and I kid you not, she stands up on the couch and just starts jumping, and I've never, I've never been more proud. I, I could feel the pride radiating off of you when you just told that story. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. It was just, it was out of nowhere. I might have gotten headbutted in the face, uh, but that was okay. Uh, I'll also have to explain to my wife why uh, she finds it acceptable to jump on the couch in front of me, but um, you know, it's uh, it's worth it because one day she's gonna go to Virginia Tech and jump in those stands. So there's no doubt about that. Yeah, no, not gonna lie, that's one of the the cooler stories you've told me. Audrey unfortunately hasn't gotten to the jumping to the inner Sandman level yet, um, but you did mention you know catching a I think it was a headbutt you mentioned. Um, that's something they never prepare you for when you have kids is the amount of knocks that you take on a regular basis because the children are so clumsy. Yeah, it's definitely happening a little bit more often these days because uh, she's she's gotten a little reckless with her uh, with her reactions to things. Uh, you know, give me a cookie, no headbutt, you know, just random things like that. So it is what it is. I guess that's just part of being a dad. Yeah. I don't know. I think part of being a dad um, too should they, they, they're somewhere in the rule books. When you're in the hospital and you're leaving, they put the nice little stocking cap on the baby and they put you on your way. They should give you a cup. I'm just going to tell you right now, I have taken more shots to the groin area than I ever thought possible uh, being a father. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely definitely a true statement. Unfortunately, uh, I've 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 run into this issue where I'm you know I have like a diet coke or you know so- something in my hand where I'm drinking and. All of a sudden, she'll just jump up and knock that can straight out of my hand. Oh, and man. You got to love it. Out goes the liquid. Yep. So it's a good time. Yeah, dad life. Time. You learn a lot in a short amount of time, but uh, it's well worth it. Well worth it. For sure. For sure. So, Tim, it's uh, it's week four in the ACC. And uh, before we get to the football, if you're just joining us for the first time, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We're Shouting Grids, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can find us basically anywhere you would listen to a podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify seem to be the primary. We're on iHeartRadio now, not to brag, kind of a big deal. Uh, but also on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, uh, you can head over to ChowderAndGrits.com, Google Play Store, you know, wherever. You know, if you type in Chowder and Grits, you should be able to find us. So thanks, uh, thanks for being here. And uh, again, just tell your friends about us and uh, spread the word. But, you know, Tim. It's week four, ACC. Couple of buys this week. We've got Georgia Tech on a buy. We've got Duke and Virginia Tech on a buy before they're set to face off next week on a Friday night. Uh, but there was some news that I think we should get to for the Hokies first, and then we'll jump into the game. So uh, Jerry Kill 
the former head coach and longtime coach uh, across the FBS and FCS landscape, former head coach for the Minnesota Golden Gophers, and uh, you know was was currently the athletic director at Southern Illinois. He is now in the Virginia Tech football program as a special assistant to the head coach. So a very, um, very interesting, long-winded title. But basically what that means is he's a consultant. He can't actually talk to the players, but uh, he can give the coaching staff feedback and, uh, you know, assess game plans and kind of tell them what his thoughts are on, on how things are running. So... You know, Fuente said, I think the most important thing he pointed out was the reason he brought in Jerry. Uh, one, you know, Jerry and Gary Patterson are uh, apparently very close friends. And obviously Fuente um, coached under Gary Patterson for a while. So uh, there was obviously that connection there. But Fuente also said he's a very honest guy and he's not a yes man, essentially. So he will give him an honest assessment as to what he is seeing in practice, which, you know, I think is uh, is good for Virginia Tech at this time. If you've watched the first three games of the season, um, if we had a yes man in there, I don't think that would be very uh, beneficial to anybody. No. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I don't think it's uh, when I first saw it without reading anything or looking into it. I was like, you know, is this setting up for some kind of coordinator position in the future? I'm not getting that sense, Tim. Um, I'm just getting the sense that this is a group hiring a consultant, uh, let them know how they're doing and, you know, maybe it results in a bigger role in the future. But for now, I think it's purely a uh, consultant type of position. Yeah, I think it is. Um, More than anything, I think it's just, you know, a second set of eyeballs for uh, our scheming and and what we're trying to do. I also think there's a chance here uh, that he's going to take on some of the head coach duties, some of the administrative duties off of Justin Fuente. Uh, to free him up to help work on the offense a little bit. If you follow me on Twitter, at uh, Timmy Jim, if you're not already, highly recommend it. Uh, you know that I had uh, some comments to make when I heard that Cornelson uh, was going to use him to help scheme the run game. Well, I think that's fantastic. Uh, much needed, quite obviously, if you've watched the Hokies over the past three years. Just seems weird uh, to, to find out that we're finally reaching out for help in year four when establishing the run has been a problem. Uh, over the past three years. Glad it's being done, although it's not really uh, inspiring a lot of confidence in me and our current offensive staff uh, to need this at this point. You figured year four you'd be a well-oiled machine, uh, but hopefully it leads to good things. You know, Hopefully it leads to some better personnel packages uh, and some better schemes in the run game. Um, you know, the, the woes of the run game kind of made me realize I don't know how much of it is a quarterback issue, you know, we ran pretty well with Gerard Evans when he was in, and considering our offense is predicated on the read option, I think Gerard's legs helped fuel that quite a bit. Um, you saw when Josh Jackson came in, we saw a drop-off. Josh, again, not a good runner. Ryan, not a good runner. Uh, Ryan Willis, that is. So I think that may have something to do um, with our offense struggling, which leads me to the question, since Ryan Willis isn't exactly tearing it up, why we don't use a quarterback like Quincy Patterson, who looks like he could certainly run the read option well, uh, kind of blows my mind. But maybe we'll see some changes here uh, and, and see some more varied uh, runs in the running attack, some more varied formations, and maybe we'll see some runs that aren't necessarily predicated off the read option, um, but you know, sort of like an off-tackle, a counter here and there, and uh, just get something that goes a little quicker to the line of scrimmage. Uh, those are my quick thoughts, and uh, you know I'm happy to have Jerry Kill on the staff. Guy's uh, guy's proven at the Power Five level, uh, a, a guy that's no stranger to success. And uh, like you, I don't think he's he's going to be a candidate for any uh, coordinator positions anytime soon. But it, I'm happy to have him on the staff. Yeah, you know something uh, something Cornelson said that I thought stood out to me a little bit was, you know, we're not going to come in here and change the offense. You know, we're in the middle of the season. Uh, but we're going to try to draw up schemes that fit our players the best. Well, what have we been doing then for the first three weeks? Because Ryan Willis, like you said, he's not a great runner out of the pocket, but he can get out of the pocket if he needs to. I'm very comfortable with him taking off if he needs to take off. I just don't want to see, you know, 35% of the plays be designed runs for the quarterback. Right. Because... 
he's not that mobile of a quarterback. No. Now, he's a guy who can get out of the pocket. He can make a play with his legs if he needs to, if it breaks down. But at the end of the day, I want him to stay in the pocket. I want him to look downfield. I want him to make the reads. We haven't seen that so far. No. So and, and look, this is a frustration you and I had last year with Josh Jackson. Same complaint. Um, it's just weird when you hear a comment like that. Um, it's just it, you kind of think, okay, so what the hell were we doing all offseason? What kind of strategy is drawing up an offense that doesn't suit your personnel? I don't know. And maybe, maybe I'm being too critical here. Um, but it, that did leave us. A lot of the comments Cornelson made left, left a sour taste in my mouth. Well, I'm very interested to see what Friday, September 27th brings. Because if we come out and see a completely different new offense, don't for a second think that was anybody except for Jerry Kill. Because as we've seen over the first three weeks, we've seen the same exact offense rolled out with very similar results. And and, and we have a year, two seasons prior that we can draw upon to say, hey, this is what Corny wants to do. It's not worked for a while, especially where the run game is is uh, you know where the run game is considered. And I do I hope we see more aggressive schemes to get the ball in the hands of Kashawn King, maybe even free up Deshaun McLeese a little bit and and take the running load off the quarterback's shoulders. I think Ryan Willis can be a fine quarterback, like you said, fast enough to get outside the pocket. But I don't want to see Ryan being you know responsible for carrying some of the workload in the run game in the design run game, because that doesn't make any sense when you, when you consider what his strengths actually are. And that's going vertical, which we need to do more, and, and you know, escapability. He's got a little bit of mobility, but not the kind that, that Gerard Evans had where he could take a read option and, and turn it into a 25, 30-yard gain every now and then, or at least consistently pick you up five yards. That's not what we have at quarterback right now. Yeah, uh, obviously I'd like to see him look a little bit more downfield, you know, instead of these little dump off screen passes, that was the majority of the passing attack in, uh, in the game against Furman. But you don't like to, you know, part of that is the offensive. No, you know, sometimes, but, you know, not every play. Well, hold on. Let me try to repackage this. You don't like two yard drag routes on third and five. Uh, third and 10. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're never in third and anywhere near short. So excuse me for that. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, the offensive line's got to play more consistently. Exactly. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens there. It's not all on Ryan Willis, even though it may look like that on on the uh, you know on the surface. But you know, let's let's get behind him. He's our quarterback. It's not going to do anybody any any good to be out there booing him and no. being negative on the surface. Don't so. cheer when he gets injured. That's despicable. Also, you know, let's 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 and side, disappointing. Yeah, and I get it. I get I get the frustration on that side, but he's still a human, um, and and he's honestly not played as horrible. Foot, football is a game. Yeah, it's a game, yes. right? Remember, this is still life. The thing we got to consider, though, this this offense has not been easy for Ryan Willis either. Um, I think he's been put in a position. I don't want to say he's been set up to fail, but it's not too far from that. I when I see Ryan Willis, I still see a guy who's got potential to be a pretty good quarterback. No doubt, no doubt. But uh, you know, co- coaches have to put him in the right position. I just feel like you know what we've seen, uh, as we've said multiple times uh, over the first two weeks of the season, has not been a offense conducive to Ryan Willis's skill set. Right. It's been conducive to other quarterbacks on the roster that have never thrown a pass and or only one has thrown five passes and completed one. Right. So I'm honestly at this point, I don't even know if Hinton Hooker knows how to throw a football yeah. because I've, I've just never seen it with my eyes outside of the spring game. Sure. So, um, you know, we, we just don't know what we have. Uh, but at the same time, let's see what Jerry kill can do. I don't want to put too much pressure on the guy. If we come out and see similar results to what we saw on, on Friday at the end of the day, he's a consultant, you know, the coaches don't have to listen to him. So, We'll see what kind of advice that they uh, that they get from them, how they take it, what they implement. So um, I think it would be a little bit unrealistic, Tim, to expect a completely new look offense. No, yeah, uh, but totally at the same time, like I think there's got to be a, a turning point in the game to where if something's not working, they better have a different mindset or philosophy or different package of plays that they turn to. Sure. So I mean, that's that's, that's kind of going to be what I'm looking for. That's it. Just just. 
you know, when, when something is not working, uh, hopefully we see some changes made. The Hokies' MO right now is that if something doesn't work, keep doing it until the game is over. And, and hopefully we can get away from that a little bit. And a lot of people see this as a panic move. I don't necessarily. I see it as a smart move. I'm glad the, you know, the football staff decided to go this direction. Um, and, you know, this is a very Nick Saban move. Nick Saban has been doing this for years. Um, you know, most recently with Sarkeesian, uh, you know, as, as far as bringing him in as a special assistant. And, uh, you know, emulating Alabama, not necessarily a horrible thing. Sarkeesian, Chris Durkin, all kinds of guys, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's if it was a panic move, Tim, it'd be somebody got fired. Right. That's a panic move. Right. This is a let's get better move. See what we're doing good and see what we're doing bad and uh and go from there. So sure. You know, we'll see what we'll see what happens there. Uh there's only so much talking you can do about it. You gotta see it on the field. So we'll see it next Friday night, September twenty seventh against Duke. Should be a good one. I am uh, very much game. looking forward to it, believe yep. it or not. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into the games, Tim. So we've got Notre Dame at Georgia again. So we're gonna we're gonna lump Notre Dame into our coverage going forward. Not a football ACC team. They're ACC in every other sport, but I guess they're too good for us to be uh, to be part of our conference in football. Uh, of course, that's TV money talking. Of course, um, but. They are going to start playing a lot of ACC teams, so it's a good time to kind of throw them in here. So they're playing Georgia on the road. This is a rematch from 2017, a game that ended 20-19. to It was a pretty good game. Georgia came out on top. This year, Tim, Georgia is a 14-point favorite. And maybe if you look at that like real quick and don't kind of assess what's happened so far on the season, you'd be like, wow, that's a pretty big point spread. But neither team has really played anybody first off. So we've had Notre Dame play Louisville and New Mexico. Louisville is obviously not Lamar Jackson Louisville. It's rebuilding Louisville, although somewhat competitive. And then you've got Vanderbilt, Murray State, and Arkansas State for Georgia. So they really haven't played anybody, uh, although Vandy gave them fits last year. But to me, Tim, and I'm sure this is similar for you, the biggest thing to watch in this game is can Notre Dame stop the run right. for Georgia? Exactly. So Notre Dame is allowing 230 yards per game on the ground against Louisville and New Mexico. Georgia is averaging 286 yards on the ground, mm-hmm. 278 through the air, so very balanced, but it's standard Georgia offense. Run the football, pound the rock, big offensive line. They're going to maul that defensive line. You know, the pass kind of aids the run game. It's never really a full-out aerial assault. It's always built around that run. So you've got DeAndre Swift, who's the lead back for the Bulldogs. He's already got 290 yards on 31 carries. Uh, That's a lot of yards per carries. You've also got four other backs for Georgia that already have over 100 yards. And the lowest yards per carry total for one of those four backs is 5.8 yards per carry. So these guys know how to run the football. Notre Dame is allowing almost five yards per carry this season, which is 107th nationally. So there's a lot of concern for this defensive front and really the linebackers. Notre Dame had to replace pretty much their entire front seven heading into this season. Uh, So that has obviously proven to be quite difficult. At the same time, you know, they haven't really played a super contender this year, so I'm not sure how much they're, like, holding back. But I think it's pretty clear they're going to struggle to stop a run against a pretty legit contender like Georgia. Yeah, and, I mean, that's going to come with the territory. Um, Just about any team in the nation would struggle stopping the run against Georgia. Um you know, it being Sanford Stadium, nighttime between the hedges, it's going to be a hard game for Notre Dame to go in there and win. I think the line is something like 14 points right now. Uh, to me, that feels a little large. Um, when you look at Notre Dame, what Ian Book has shown to this point has been pretty encouraging. Uh, six touchdowns, no interceptions. Again, with who they've played, you'd kind of expect that. Um, but they certainly have the firepower to hang in there with Georgia. I'm just not sure that I see Notre Dame being able to go in there 
uh, and weather the punches for all four quarters. Again, you expect the Georgia Bulldogs to be able to wear them down through the ground uh, to the point where Drake Fromm will be able to hit some some touchdown passes and open up the game towards the end. Uh, something like a 7-10 to 10 point win feels right for me for Georgia. Um, but then again, both of these teams feel like such unknowns based on who they've played. Uh, you know, I'm not totally confident in saying that. Uh, you know, Notre Dame could walk out of there, and I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if Notre Dame walks out of there with a win because we don't know a whole lot about these two teams. Neither have been battle-tested. Um, but this is a really, really good early season matchup here. So I would be surprised if Notre Dame came out with a win just for the sheer fact that they've proven, even though they're playing against weaker competition, that they struggle to stop the run. And that is what Georgia does offensively. And that's what they've had success with. Now, they haven't played anybody. But that offensive line is probably the best, arguably the best in the country. Sure. DeAndre Swift is, he, he. you don't hear a lot about him because, you know, you've got Alabama in the SEC. you got Travis Etienne up at Clemson. I mean, that dude's a legit back. He's probably going to go in the top two, three rounds of the NFL draft. Which for a running back, you know, if you're going in the top three rounds, you're a special talent in the NFL. So that is something definitely to watch. Now, if this defensive line can get after Jake Fromm, you know, maybe maybe that changes up the run game a little bit because maybe you can stack the box a little bit more. But, you know, again, this offensive line is very good. Fromm is completing 75% of his passes. This is his third year as a starter. Yep. He's not going to be surprised by anything. No, he, he's been under the brightest of lights. No, and you know he he's had some he's had some unfortunate uh, unfortunate moments under those bright lights, yes. specifically in the college football playoff he against has. Alabama. Um, but you know he's off to a solid start. You know Ian Book is a guy I like a lot. To me, he's Ryan Willis without the turnovers. <laughs> he's a guy who can move out of the pocket if he needs to. He's actually tied for the most rushing yards on the team with Tony Jones Jr. at 127 yards. Um, but, you know, he's a guy who can look downfield. He can make some plays with his arms. He's definitely more care- careful with the football. Um, so he's he's a really good quarterback. Now, if you give him chances to to make plays and you give him time, you know, I think Notre Dame has, has a shot to win this, but the defense also has to do their job. I just don't know if... Notre Dame is going to be able to score enough points over the course of the game to keep up with Georgia the entire time. So, yeah, I don't think this game is like super low scoring necessarily, but I also think there's going to be a point where Georgia's defense starts to win the battle against the Notre Dame offense and defense typically wins out in these games. So that's why I'm leaning Georgia also to, I don't know if I'm going to pick them to cover, but I think they're going to be pretty close to that cover. Yeah. I mean, I expect Georgia to win, but uh, it'll tell us a lot based on how these two teams look, uh, you know, after the end of this game. I think we'll have a lot more answers, obviously. Um, haven't really learned a lot about either two teams. Um, like you said, other than Notre Dame has seemingly struggled against the run. There's no doubt about that. I don't know what it is about Georgia. Um, the, the same way Jurassic Park was creating dinosaurs in a lab, Georgia is creating running backs in a lab somewhere, and you will never convince me to the opposite. It's incredible. Um, the school just continues. Running backs in offensive line. Yeah, it's incredible. They, they are such a machine. Um, and like you said, that's the one strength on weakness that kind of uh, really tells the story of this game, at least if you're trying to be a prognosticator here. Uh, you expect Georgia to wear Notre Dame out. Uh, wear them down and you know certainly having that home field advantage is going to go a long way so like you said I see a 10 point win here for Georgia um, but there is that little variability of you just not exactly sure uh, what Notre Dame actually is at this point and you're not 100% sure what Georgia is so always add that into the mix when you're uh, thinking about how this one shakes out I think they both have really good offenses I just don't think Notre Dame has a defense that will allow them to finish as a top 10 team this year that's kind of where I'm at so you know I feel like Jake Fromm is kind of overlooked somehow yeah I mean the guy has had quite a start to his career you know he's only a junior it feels like he's been around for a while now but he 
he's the guy who'd probably be a first round pick in the NFL draft next year if he decides to leave. Absolutely. And I just I feel like we don't hear his name a lot because you got two in the SEC. You got Joe Burrow who's having a nice year. You've got uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence obviously at Clemson. And then it's like, yeah, George is good. Right. But you don't hear why. Right. And, you know, Jake Fromm is one of those reasons why. So uh, you know, Georgia was my pick to win the national championship this year. I'm sticking to it. I think they are legit. There's obviously still a long way to go. They haven't played anybody yet, but this will be the first kind of real test. And, uh, you know, this will kind of be my barometer for, you know, how, how we should expect them to, to play through the SEC this entire season, even though they have one of the lighter sec schedules because they are focused on that on that east east side of it so yeah and and i I, I certainly think you're right and i think we also need to shout out the fact that it's not just swift in that backfield uh the freshman zamir white out of north carolina too has looked absolutely fantastic for the dogs in limited time um you know i think he's averaging almost eight yards a carry at this point so we'll see we'll we'll see what we get but that one-two punch in the backfield is uh is elite so let's jump over to UCF at Pitt, Tim. So, you know, UCF is a 12.5-point favorite. This game, by the way, 3.30 Eastern on ABC or ESPN2, depending on where you're where you're at in the country. Uh, so UCF, they're scoring 51 points per game. They're gaining over 600 yards on offense. The Pitt D has been the strongest unit on their team, uh, specifically in the secondary. So it's going to be interesting to see what this Knights offense can do through the air. Uh, the other thing to look at with UCF, Tim, is, you know, Brandon Wimbush started the season as the starter. Right. And he left with an injury. Now you've got true freshman Dylan Gabriel, who has been absolutely up. dynamite. Fourth in the nation in passer rating. Okay. So Stanford last week was his second career start. He went 22 of 30 for 347 and four touchdowns. So obviously the moment's not too big. Uh, you know, Pitt on the other side of things, coming off a pretty difficult loss to Penn State, even though, you know, they kept the game respectable. They had a chance to tie the game up and make it really interesting, potentially go into overtime. Um, but I think what Pitt's trying to do is really kind of build off of two pretty solid starts by Kenny Pickett. The one thing I don't like, Tim, is that Pitt really hasn't found the groove in the running game. Against Penn State, they had 25 carries for 24 yards. And that's just not going to cut it. No. So Pickett is throwing the ball 45, 50-plus times a game. Even though he's played solid, that's way too many times for Kenny Pickett to be throwing the ball, in my opinion. I don't think Pitt has enough offensively to keep up in this one. I do think Pitt's defense will play well uh, and hold UCF, bring them back down to earth a little bit. But at the end of the day, that Pitt defense is only going to be able to contain Gabriel in this night's offense. But so much, I don't think Pitt can score as many points to keep up. So I'm going to put my money on UCF. Yeah, and I think that's a fair bet. I'm not confident at all. Um in, in what's going to happen here uh, for Pitt. They, they don't stand much of a chance. I think they're heavily out-athleted uh, by UCF. What Dylan Gabriel has done has been absolutely crazy. Again, another great quarterback out of the uh, fine state of Hawaii. Uh, you know, So for a per capita, per capita population basis, I feel like they're turning out elite quarterbacks at a crazy rate uh, if what Dylan is doing here is something that you know keeps up for the entire season. And, and UCF just continues to have these crazy offenses putting up big numbers. And I just don't think Pitt has the athletes enough to slow them down on defense. I think they're a great defense for those slug it out games where the opponent's going to go in there and try to run the ball right at them. Um, but this is not going to be that kind of game. This is going to be vertical and flashy. And I think UCF's going to take this one, uh, you know, fairly easily. Yeah, a pretty tough break for Brandon Wimbush. I can't imagine he's going to get back in the lineup at this point with the way that uh, Gabriel is playing. Um, but, you know, who knows if Pitt has a uh, has a really strong game here. So uh, let's jump over to Boston College at Rutgers. This game is going to be noon Eastern on the Big Ten Network. BC is a seven-point favorite, Tim. And the big question is, will they get back on track after the loss to Kansas? So... 
I'd say Rutgers is a pretty good place to start. Uh, the Scarlet Knights were 1-11 last season, 8-30 under their current head coach and Chris Ash. And they're not really super strong on either side of the ball. They're 1-1 one one this year. they got a win over UMass. They're coming off a 30 to nothing loss against Iowa. You know, they did have a bye week last week, but they only gained 125 yards, punted 10 times, and had three turnovers and threw for only 41 yards against the Hawkeyes. So that's not very good. Uh, although we don't think Kansas is very good, and they absolutely annihilated Boston College. But I'm willing to kind of put that aside as a fluke. Yeah. I I mean, a fluke, but Boston College does have issues that we expected them to have type of deal. Right. Um. I'd, I'd like to see their defensive line maybe attend this game. Uh, maybe they can get on the plane and head down to New Jersey uh, because they weren't they weren't in attendance last week. Uh, Anthony Brown needs to play a little bit better. A.J. Dillon, you know, this offense needs to make sure he is getting as many touches as possible. He did have 27 carries last week, so. Um, but I don't, I don't think I like Rutgers in this game. They're not very good. I think Boston College has a nice little rebound here. And uh, and they get back on track and head to three and one. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Chris Ash hasn't exactly been burning it up in Piscataway. There's no question. Um, th- this feels like a game to me. Last week, you know, Boston College felt like they regre- regressed toward the mean a little bit. They kind of looked like what we expected them to look like. You know, but a part of that equation too, I think, is they flat out overlooked Kansas. Uh, you know, Kansas certainly has better athletes than they had last year. Les has done a little bit with recruiting there to improve them. And I think they honestly just surprised Boston College and came in and punched him in the mouth. And that happens sometimes in college football. Um, I don't think Boston College is as bad as they looked against Kansas. Um, and I don't think they're as good as they looked again in the beginning of the season. I think we're somewhere in the middle. And somewhere in the middle is certainly good enough to beat this Rutgers team. So I'll take Boston College by two touchdowns. Uh, Western Michigan at Syracuse. Noon Eastern, ACC Network. Syracuse is only a six-point favorite in this game, Tim. So the Broncos are averaging over 40 points per game, over 500 yards on offense. The Syracuse defense, what we thought was going to be the strong suit, and I'm willing to look past the Clemson game. Now, the Clemson game was a game where I thought Syracuse had a pretty good chance to make it a game at multiple points in that third quarter, uh, but the offense could not uh, break through that Clemson D. The offense for Syracuse has been what's really holding them back, so struggled to find a run game so far, especially against Clemson. Tommy DeVito has been fairly inconsistent in all games, and... Again, they gave up 63 points to Maryland. Maryland is a team that lost 20-17 to against Temple. Not that Temple's a bad team, but they gave up 63 points to a team that lost to Temple. Yeah. Okay. This is Maryland football. Okay, we're not talking about Clemson. We're not talking about Alabama. This is Maryland. So there's something going on in that defense that we don't know about. Yeah. The Broncos... They've beaten Monmouth and Georgia State. Georgia State's obviously, you know, the team to beat Tennessee. Not that Tennessee's a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. No, that's a good win. Going into Neal and taking it's a it's a solid win, no doubt. But Western Michigan ran for four hundred and fifty yards and seven touchdowns against Georgia State. I don't care who you're playing, Tim. That's impressive. So their one loss was to Michigan State, beat them fifty one to seventeen. They only had 200 yards on the ground. So, or excuse me, they're only giving up 200 yards. They're giving up 200 yards on the ground, not only. I'm hesitant to pick Western Michigan in this game because of that Michigan State game. I don't think Michigan or uh, Syracuse is that much worse than Michigan State. But I also don't really like how Mich- or, uh, Syracuse is playing right now. Yeah. So their defense doesn't look good. They the offense looks terrible. They can't run the ball. DeVito's inconsistent. I'm not picking Western Michigan to win, but I'm not going to be surprised if they do. 
Yeah, and to me, it's a lot of the eye test. When And I've watched a lot of Syracuse this season, watched all their condensed games. The offense has no flow under DeVito. Um, we're at the point now where we really have to worry about DeVito. He has looked very inconsistent, borderline uh, not good, um, almost bad. And, and what strikes me the most about him is their offense cannot get in a rhythm with him at quarterback, and they have no run game to speak of to lean on. Mo Neal just has not provided any sort of spark out of the tailback position. Um, you know, and, and this is a question for you. On a scale of 1 to 2018 Florida State, how worried are we about this Syracuse football team? Uh, so one one being not worried? Exactly. 10 being 2018 Florida State, meaning a team that we thought had potential to have a, a pretty darn good season comes in and just yeah. gives you almost nothing. I'd say I'm about a 9.3. Right. Because, again... It's it's tough to assess Devito so much against uh, Clemson. Sure, uh, that offensive line of his really struggled against Clemson. He was under duress the entire game. He was on the run the entire game. But he made some really terrible decisions bad. in that game. Bad. And I see Trevor Lawrence make bad decisions, but I also think Trevor Lawrence tries to force things sometimes because he's Trevor Lawrence yeah. and he knows he's better than anybody yeah. on the field. Yeah. Tommy Devito has not earned that right. And I just I, I I look back to that Liberty game when, when they lost or they won twenty four to nothing and the the offense played bad. Right. Uh, the offense just hasn't looked good in any single game this year. Yeah. So they're gonna have to go out and prove it to me. But yeah, I would say my level of uh, worry about this team is is very high. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, and I'm they are not kind of nine. what I thought they were. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm gonna solid eight to nine here. And it's mostly because of the eye test. They just have not looked good. Nothing about the Syracuse team looks good to me right now. And that's totally surprising given my expectations for them in the preseason. Um, I don't I don't know if I see a winning season for the Orange right now. And that is such a crazy thought. I mean, this Western Michigan game went from a totally winnable game, a game they should win, to one that is a, a pure toss-up in my mind. Um, I'm, I almost well, want to Well, being a six-point favorite at home... Yeah, tells you what Vegas thinks of them. Exactly, they're which worried. is not a lot. They have every right to be. So this this is going to be a dead carrier dome, playing a Western Michigan team on a start of one and two psychologically is going to be a huge hit to the Orange, who came in with such high hopes. Um, I, I don't know what to think here. I mean, this is going to tell you what kind of coach Dino Babers is if he if he's able going to be able if he's going to be able to pick his team up off the mat. And deliver a knockout blow to Western Michigan. Now, I will say this. If Syracuse comes out and wins by two or three touchdowns, I'm going to be very, very impressed with that. Because I, I would have not seen that coming in any of their previous play. And honestly, the wind is completely out of their sails at this point. So we'll see what we have here. This one is a pure toss-up. Um, Syracuse maybe by three points. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be impressed with them winning by three touchdowns. I would be like somewhat relieved for them. Yeah. Be like, oh, it's in there. Yeah. Okay, they they can be a good football team. Uh, but at the same time, it's still Western Michigan. Like, this isn't the PJ Fleck Western Michigan. No. Uh they're not a they're not a bad football program. Uh, but they shouldn't be beating a team that won ten games last year either. So um, you know, we'll see what happens. I am going to stick with Syracuse, although I'm not confident about it. I don't think I'd be putting money on this game if no, I were betting. No, I'd avoid it. Um, but I will be watching because there, there's there's something going on there, and it, they just haven't looked good. So no. they haven't met that proverbial eye test that we love to talk about so much. Uh, another team, Tim, that has not met that proverbial eye test since uh, Willie Taggart came to town is Florida State. Oof. So we've got Louisville on the road at Florida State. This game is going to be 3.30 Eastern on ESPN. Florida State is only a six-and-a-half point favorite. So if I had told you, Tim, that Florida State at home week four against what we thought was the 
worst or second worst team in the ACC going into the season, they'd only be a six and a half point favorite. What would you have said? Yeah, I would have called you a liar. No question. Yeah, you would have thought I was crazy. Absolutely. So for me, it's pretty simple. If Willie Taggart loses this game, he's gone. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. I don't see how they could bring him back. Right. If he lost this game. I, I mean, yeah, he would he would finish the year, um, but they would start that coaching search. If they haven't I don't, already, they would start I don't it know if he would. this weekend. Would he finish the year? As sort of a token because, gesture, I think, because what do you gain out of keeping or, or firing him at this point? What do you lose? Well, I mean, that's what I mean. You don't lose or gain anything. The season is what it is. At this point, you let Taggart stay in there, finish 5-7, and seven, and go ahead and start your coaching search. Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Florida State's already been putting out feelers. Well, here's the deal. FSU should have beat UVA last week. Oh, no doubt. But, once again, the defense is running on fumes in the fourth. That undisciplined nature of the football team shines through with all the personal fouls that they're committing. And then they blow the game again. So they get outscored 21-7 to in the fourth, as we talked about in the uh, episode we released on Monday. The defense was on the field for 40 minutes. That that just cannot continue to happen. But it has continued to happen. And what does Willie Tacker continue to do? He continues to say the defense has to play better. You got to keep the defense off the field, Willie. Yep. They need a breather. Like, there's a reason time of possession is an important indicator of when teams get tired. There's 60 minutes in the game. The closer you are to 60, the more tired that unit's going to be. I don't know how to simplify it anymore for Willie Taggart, but he doesn't seem to really understand that. And part of that is the Kendall Bryles offense, which I understand. But Willie is the head coach. He needs to reel it in. Kendall, I've given you the reins to call the plays. We need to slow down the pace. Correct. We're cannibalizing ourselves. And that hasn't happened. So... This is going to be an interesting game. I don't think it's a guarantee Florida State wins. Louisville's been good this year. Uh, they've been a nice little surprise. And I don't think any of us are surprised that Satterfield has got them competing and looking respectable, even though they are wildly undermatched from a from a talent standpoint when they're going against a Power 5 opponent. But they are 2-1. and one. Their win's obviously against Eastern Kentucky and Western Kentucky. They lost the opener to Notre Dame. I don't think anybody's going to hold that that against them. But they were in that game for about two and a half quarters. Absolutely. They've been strong running the football. You know, if Juwan Pass can limit the turnovers and find a little bit of success through the air, I'd recommend the fourth quarter. They'll have a chance. So I think FSU... Gets this figured out this week. I don't know why I think that. I just, I have a hard time believing they would lose to Louisville this year. I do think that defense, it looked, it looked good through three quarters last week. Sure. I mean, they were, they were in great position to win the football game. But again, the coaching staff is not setting them up for success. So hopefully the offense slows down a little bit this, this week. It pl- the entire team plays more discipline, and they start to write the ship for their own sake. Otherwise, there's going to be a whole lot of questions about if Willie Taggart's going to be the head coach for the rest of the season. Yeah, and I don't know how many answers you're going to get because I went into this season thinking Florida State was you know, a, a potential nine-win team. Um, they've burned me so many times, and I, I bought into the hype of Willie Taggart it's just not there. There's not a good coached football team in that Florida State locker room. Too many dumb mistakes. Lack of focus. They're worn out in the fourth quarter. They're running an offensive system that is completely detrimental to their defense. And I don't see that changing. So you've got a confident, well-coached, let me say that, well-coached Louisville team going into Tallahassee in a game that I think is completely winnable for them. I mean... If Puma Pass gets it rolling on the ground, you know Javian Hawkins is going to be chomping at the bit to go back to his home state and continue his dominant ways. I mean, the guy is, you know, only coolly averaging 338 yards per game 
or 338 yards uh, for the first three games and seven yards a carry. Um, the schemes that we've seen and the amount of rushing production that we've seen out of Louisville has been completely fantastic. And you got to think, a team like Louisville, who can really control the time of possession when they want to, is going to even uh, is going to be kryptonite to that Florida State defense who wants to get off the field but can't. So they're going to be ground down to a pulp by that fourth quarter. Again, another toss-up here. I really want to pick Louisville. And I think I'm going to. Solely on the Do fact it. that Florida State, again, when the eye test, you're talking about the eye test? They are just one of the worst coached football teams I've ever seen, especially when it comes to discipline, not committing stupid penalties. And you just couldn't have two teams going in opposite directions. Louisville trending up faster than we thought they would. The culture seems to be on the upswing. The players are playing well. The schemes look good. Versus Florida State, whose schemes seem to be detrimental to what they're trying to do as a football program, which is win. Their discipline is terrible. And honestly, they look like they don't have any confidence at this point. And why should they? Um, I, I think I'm taking Louisville here, and I'm not trying to sound too hard. Arsha and Willie Taggart. But they, they've shown me nothing this year. Yeah, and let's be clear, Louisville's turned it up because of coaching. No doubt. Like no doubt. The talent they have on this team, like they had the most transfers of anybody in college football coming into the season. They had the most players in the transfer portal than any other program in college football. They had a, a, a recruiting class ranked in the 70s. They should not be very good right now. No. But they look like they've bought in to what Satterfield is saying, and they're playing hard. And that typically beats a more talented football team, which really kind of going forward, I I don't know Louisville's schedule off the top of my head, but most likely they're not going to be the most talented football team in the majority of the games they play the rest of the year. No, and I mean, if you... But they're going to have a shot. If you look at what we've seen this year, uh, the University of Louisiana Monroe went in to Doak and should have won that game against Florida State. They should, should have, have won. won. No doubt. Louisville is more talented than ULM. Probably way more. Better coached. Way. So we should see and I think there's a high chance we see a Louisville victory and as you said that's going to be you know whether or not he's fired before the season ends that will be the end of the Willie Taggart era for all intents and purposes. Yes, that will be the end, whether it's the official end or not. Uh, I can't imagine he uh, he makes it past that one. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, App State at North Carolina. So this is an interesting game, Tim. Very. 3.30 Eastern, UNC a three-point favorite at home. UNC obviously coming off a, uh, a loss to Wake, a game in which they apparently could not get up for. Uh, They will look to play a complete game for the first time this season, try not to dig themselves a hole and have, you know, Cardiac Sam bring them back in the uh, fourth quarter for the fourth consecutive week. But, you know, the Tar Heels, they're still averaging about 400 yards per game. They're giving up 400 yards per game. They're scoring 23 a game. They're allowing 23 a game. So they're very consistent on both offense and defense. Uh, That to me spells a 500 ball club. But... That's just one of the things they got going for them. App State, on the other hand, run-heavy offense. They're averaging 49 points per game through two games. Uh, Both of those wins came against East Tennessee and Charlotte, so they haven't really played anybody. The X factor for App State is Darrington Evans. Mm -hmm. This guy had 298 all-purpose yards against Charlotte. He had 1,100 yards rushing last season. He's very solid. That's going to be a tough matchup for the North Carolina defense. Uh, They've also got junior quarterback uh, Zach Thomas, who's been pretty good. He's completing 68% of his passes, five touchdowns, no picks. So UNC is going to have their hands full. This is a good App State football team, the team that Satterfield built up. Don't be surprised if App State wins. I'm going App State in this one. No, I mean, don't be. UNC's got a converted quarterback at linebacker. And, you know, they have their own issues with stopping the run. Uh, Darrington Evans averaging 10 yards a carry is incredible. 
Um, you know, like you said, Zach Thomas doing what he needs to do, getting the job done for the Mountaineers. And there's a bunch of North Carolina kids on that team that are going to be fired up to go play a Power 5 team in the same state. Um, this is this is a tough game for North Carolina to win. Another complete toss-up as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I'm with you. I'm, I'm going Mountaineers on this one. Uh, when you When you talk about a team that is going to go out there and give their best shot, a well-coached team, and don't forget who the Mountaineers' new head coach is. That would be Elia Drinkwitz, former offensive coordinator at NC State. And he beat the snot out of the Tar Heels and, and seemingly knew how to scheme against them just about every time he faced them. Give me the Mountaineers. Yeah, I think uh, I think North Carolina played a little bit over their skis in the first two weeks. Um, but at the end of the day, they went out, they won the games. It looks like they came back down to earth a little bit last week against Wake. They were still in the game at the end. They fought back, which is good to see. But I think App State is just one of those teams that might catch them sleeping a little bit. And I still don't think North Carolina is just that good. So that's why I'm going App State. App State is a respectable program. Um, that it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a good game to watch. I think absolutely. Let's jump over to the last four games. These are kind of gimmies, I would say, in the ACC. So we've got Central Michigan at Miami, 4 p.m. Eastern, ACC Network. Hurricanes are, are a uh, they're a 30.5-point favorite, Tim. So Central Michigan, they're only averaging 370 yards per game. Uh, their wins are over Albany and Akron. Uh, but if you remember... They're the team that lost 61 to nothing to Wisconsin. Right. So in that game, they only had 58 yards of offense, and they gave up 600 yards. Oof. So Miami's only allowing 70 yards on the ground. They're going to get back to 500 in this game. They're going to be 2-2. Two and two. DJ Dallas will not be able to be stopped. Jaron Williams should have a good day. I don't see any of Miami starters playing past halftime in this one. I like Miami big over Central Michigan. Yeah, I agree. And and just shout out to Jaron Williams, the guy starting to put up put together a really good season so far. Six touchdowns, no interceptions. He's got a, a completion percentage of seventy three point one percent. I think Enos knows what he's doing down there to get the most out of Jaron. Obviously, DJ Dallas needs no introduction. He's been fantastic. Uh, Manny Diaz, Miami, still seemingly a work in progress. Uh, not where they will be right now, uh, as far as where they'll finish at the end of the season. I, you know, I still think they have a high ceiling, even though they've stumbled early out of the gate. Um, but again, this is a cakewalk for them. Miami by many touchdowns. And just so, uh, just a little reminder for Hokies fans, Miami goes on a bye week after this and then hosts Virginia Tech after that. So not, uh, not super great news for Virginia Tech, but we'll see. We'll see what that Jerry Kill offense looks like, right? Uh, Elon at Wake Forest, noon Eastern. Wake actually playing on a Saturday. How about that? There you go. So no wacky Wake Forest Friday. No, exactly. So not much to say on this one. You know, Elon's going to be overmatched. Uh, they're going against one of the nation's top offenses. Yes, I said one of the nation's top offenses when I'm talking about Wake Forest. Not wrong. Uh, maybe we'll see Cade Carney return. I kind of doubt we will, to be honest. Uh, Kenneth Walker has played well in his absence. Jamie Newman has looked really good this year. 69% of his passes completed. Seven TDs, one pick. I expect a big number from Wake. Uh, they're going for win number six in a row, dating back to last season. I think they get it with ease. Maybe we see a little bit of Sam Hartman. He's a guy who uh, it sounds like Wake Forest is trying to redshirt this season, but remember, he's got that four-game rule, so this would be a nice game for him to get some action. Yeah, the, the Phoenix will be disappointed that the only thing rising will be the number under Wake Forest on the scoreboard. Uh, again, Wake Forest by a whole lot of touchdowns, but you know, excited to see what Newman does and and watch his progress as we continue through the season. Old Dominion at UVA. So this game, 7 p.m. on ESPN2. UVA is a 30-and-a-half-point favorite. Hokie fans need to be prepared that this game, no matter what happens, will be, be compared to what they did against Old Dominion. Uh, don't buy the bait. Ignore it. Move on. Does not matter what UVA does, win or lose, against Old Dominion. Uh, ODU had a bye last week, so they've had a little bit of time to regroup after that VT loss. Stone Smart, again, good 
athlete at quarterback, not a dynamic passer, uh, but you'd expect that it's going to be a run-heavy attack against UVA. You know, Bryce Perkins should have a decent day. Uh, He has struggled with consistency through the air this year. Uh, He also hasn't looked 100% healthy. So, um, you know, we'll see how Virginia chooses to utilize him in this game. I think he'll have a a solid game, obviously, but I think the UVA defense will be a little bit too much for ODU to handle. And uh, I look for UVA to try to beat Old Dominion by as many points as humanly possible. Yeah, I I think so, too. And uh, this one may be a little tighter than the line suggests at 31 uh, points. But, uh, yeah, UVA will have no problem with Old Dominion. And and as you said, don't take the bait. Comparing uh, common opponents and and results in football games yet to be played um, is one of the worst ways to go about doing things. It, It tells you almost nothing about the two teams being compared, so don't fall for it. No, and the reason I said they'll try to beat them by as many points as humanly possible is so people can compare it to the Virginia Tech game. So don't don't think that's being missed. Ball State at NC State. Wolfpack, a 19-point favorite, Tim. Obviously a disappointing loss last week against West Very. Virginia. Uh, Got to look for Matt McKay to get back on track here, get a little bit more consistent, a little bit more accurate. Uh, Zonovan Bam Knight. You know, get him going. He should have a good day. I think the defense will be okay in this game. You know, they obviously didn't play great last week, but, you know, Ball State has a pass-heavy attack. They've got junior quarterback Drew Pitts, who uh, he's already got over 1,000 yards through the air. He's got 11 touchdowns, three picks. I don't know how much we learn from this game uh, for NC State other than it's another lackluster opponent uh, before kicking off conference play against FSU next week. Yeah, not going to tell you much. I I think if you are looking for a reason to watch this game, uh, the comments that Dave Doran made after the game at West Virginia and pressers throughout the week doesn't seem too happy with the play calling that occurred in the West Virginia game. Um, Maybe thinks that uh, the play calling made it a little difficult for uh, Matt McKay to do what he wants to do out there. Look for some changes on the offense on NC State side of the ball. Maybe a little less RPO. Um, maybe a little more varied passing attack. Uh, so we'll see what happens. The Wolf Pack again, should win by three touchdowns. It shouldn't be much of a problem. Um, and again, facing a, a team that they should beat handily. But if you are looking for something, look for potential scheme changes, slight scheme stages on uh, NC State side. But uh, yeah, that's about it for that game. Last game of the week, and it is a barn burner. Charlotte at Clemson, 7.30 on the ACC Network. The Tigers are a 41-point favorite. I'm surprised they're not a 60-point favorite. They're probably going to put up 70 in this one. I'd be surprised to see the starters go past halftime. This is a game where Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence try to pad their stats for the Heisman, but I, I really don't have anything to say about this one other than it's not going to be a good one. No, yeah, it's not going to be a good one. Stat their or pad their stats, they will. Uh, Trevor Lawrence again looked for him to be a little more efficient with the ball. Etienne's going to get what he wants on the ground, um, and this one's going to be a field day as anyone would expect. So that is our week four preview. Tim, any final words before we sign off? No, no final words. Just really looking forward to that Georgia-Notre Dame game. Uh, That's a really, really intriguing matchup. We'll see what we get. Hopefully we get more of a game than maybe we expect. Um, Other than that, yeah, no, we just keep on plugging away here uh, and looking forward to our our recap show on Sunday. Yeah, not a ton of interesting matchups this week. You know, the App State-North Carolina game I'm interested in. Louisville, let's see what they do against Florida State. UCF-Pitt. Uh, Syracuse and, you know, um, whoever they're playing, Western (laughs) Michigan. You know, it's some interesting matchups, but nothing uh, nothing too major. But hopefully we see the ACC rebound a little bit this week. It was a rough rough week three. So let's see them. uh, Let's see them bounce back. But, you know, we will uh, we'll be back on Monday talking about the recap, talking about all these games. So thanks for joining. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, or Stitcher. 
And of course, iHeartRadio. That's the new one. So, uh, Tim, why don't you uh, tell these fine people what they can do for us? Leave us a review. Share our content. We really appreciate you guys getting the word out about our podcast. Um, Yeah, interact with us on Twitter, any social media that you see us. Uh, Feel free to follow us on both our Chowder and Grits account and also our personal accounts. Uh, Justin Cochiola. Over on the other side of the mic, I'm Tim Hurth. We look forward to speaking with you guys at the end of this weekend. Uh, And we'll leave you, as usual, with a Go ACC. See you guys later.